0: interdisciplinary science. It's challenging. It's incredibly rewarding. And to do it, it's really just three things. Be humble, be patient, and be intentional.
1: Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. I'm Kim Skorupski. You've tuned in to the Triple H episodes. The Habits and Hacks from Hopkins. And on today's episode, I'm really excited to introduce you to Dr. Sarah Amand.
0: Hi, Kim. It's great to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. I'm excited to share um, some ideas with your podcast audience. Well,
1: thank you, Dr. Amand. So tell everybody who you are here at Hopkins and what you do.
0: Sure. Um, I'm an assistant professor. I sit at the Brady Urological Institute, one of the original buildings of the School of Medicine, which is a really inspirational place to work. I have appointments in both urology and oncology. My lab focuses on understanding and ultimately trying to design strategies to treat lethal prostate cancer. The foundation of my research is really rooted in evolutionary ecology paradigms. So that allows us to apply novel frameworks to really address these decades-old questions in cancer biology. Right now, we're focusing on a particular transient cancer cell state, sort of has been rediscovered in, the, in recent years, um, and understanding its role in cancer, we call it the polyaneoboid cancer cell or the PAC.
1: Say, say that again, the poly, what, what, what? The
0: polyaneuploid cancer cell or the pack. Oh my goodness.
1: This is fascinating. So lethal prostate cancer. Wow. What is the habits and hacks from Hopkins that can evolve from this area
0: of science? Yeah. So some, something that I think uh, many scientists, and especially um, speaking as a junior scientist, that we really lean away from is actually doing interdisciplinary science. I think if it's not something you're already doing, it can be daunting to start off with, um, but it doesn't have to be. And it can be really rewarding um, and it can really drive your science forward.
1: Can you pause a moment and just kind of orient us to what do you mean by interdisciplinary science?
0: Yeah. Um, and and I, I think it brings up an important point here, right? Is that interdisciplinary is such a buzzword right now. or cross-cutting research. And I think what many people think of is, oh, I'm a clinician working with a basic scientist. And certainly that is cross-disciplinary. But when I'm talking about interdisciplinary, I'm talking about different branches of science and moving outside of just the biomedical sciences. So for example, my core group of collaborators outside of Hopkins. um, So of course I have a very active research lab, but the people I'm talking about today is made up of a game theorist who's really the father of cooperation theory, a physicist who studies the physical dynamics of single cells and bacteria under stress, a geobiologist who is really interested in understanding hyperspeciation like the Cambrian explosion on earth using rocks and, and fossils, an evolutionary ecologist who is the world's foremost expert on squirrel foraging, as well as a prostate cancer medical oncologist. Okay. And okay. I sort of wear the hat of a cell biologist. Wait a second. Okay. Wait a second.
1: Uh, this, you just kind of blew my mind because I heard squirrels. I heard games. I heard geobiology. Just let me just kind of reiterate this, make sure I didn't just lose my mind on this. You, Dr. Sarah Ammon are a cell biologist, and on your interdisciplinary team, a game theorist, a physicist, a geobiologist, an evolutionary ecologist. Did I get that right?
0: Yeah, as well as a medical oncologist who has an active cancer or oncology. Yeah, let's
1: throw in a medical oncologist. How in the world did you conceive of a team that is like, I need this, this, and oh, that might be interesting. How did this, I'm sorry if I'm like taking you off script here, but I need to know how did you put these pieces and parts together?
0: Yeah. So I think one thing is important is that while it's really intentional to create a team, teams also grow and change over time. So I didn't start off by working with all of these people. They each sort of worked with each other um, and, uh, over time, we sort of grew to really work together as a, as, a, as a team together. Another thing that I think helps frame this a little bit better is to understand a little bit more of my background. Um, so of course, I'm a cancer biologist now, but my background, my start in science was in plant pathology in growing plants in the ground in rural North Carolina, where I grew up. My summer job was working in a literal wheat field. Um, I monitored growth, like with an actual yardstick, I looked for beetle damage, and at harvest time, I walked behind a combine. So really, my whole worldview of how I view scientific problems, is going to be a lot different from somebody who has wanted to be a doctor since they were a kid, or um, had a great summer opportunity where they were working in a lab. That's just not where I came from. In college, I moved a little bit, but I I worked in a peanut field, um, which admittedly comes with a lot of good jokes, but, but we worked really, really closely with farmers and engineers and mechanics Uh, Right, to run the tractors, to have the right treatments on the fields, to understand the workings, the ecology of a peanut field in order to feed people. So, my whole understanding of science is different from somebody who has always been looking down at a microscope or who has always done molecular biology. Not that those aren't really valuable, but it, it changes the way I think about the problem.
1: I just want to insert some little reminder here everybody, this is diversity. We're talking, this is. Talk about diversity in the broadest sense, and this is it. This, to me, is so exciting. I have goosebumps. This is so exciting because it just amplifies the fact that people have so many gifts and talents that are perhaps undiscovered, that are latent, that you would never think. Who would think that someone working in a peanut field would end up being a cell biologist, looking at lethal prostate cancer. You would right. never, if someone had like a match game of like, which of these things goes together, you would never in a million years. And geez Louise, if this example does not prove that all these hidden gems out there, you don't know. And we have to have our eyes open for this being curious, being
0: curious. Exactly. And, and I, think, I think you really named it well there, Kim. Everybody has something to teach us. Now, one of my great mentors was Don Coffey here here at the Brady. And that's something that he would tell us, that every datum is screaming to tell you something. So I think we, as, as scientists, think about that as like, that's a piece of data that I have um, from a clinical study or from cell lines or from a mouse study. But people can provide that too. And, and if we really listen and really listen, right? With an open mind that they have something that we don't know. Hmm. So all of these people that I've worked with have a lifetime, have a career's worth of knowledge about questions I haven't even thought to ask. Hmm. And unless you're in the room with them or in the Zoom with them or or whatever, you're, you are never going to be able to make that connection. I think something that is really difficult and intimidating about starting these types of collaborations is is how does it work, right? That collaborative team I I talked with you about um, sits across two continents or at five institutions and three time zones. So how do we actuate this? Hmm. The, The biggest part of it is that we are intentional about the collaboration. The word collaboration itself The dictionary definition is the action of working with someone to create something. So it's really important pieces there. Number one, you're working with them. That needs to be defined. And then you have to create something. And that's also defined. Working with somebody or with a group of people takes work. But any relationship takes work. For those of you who run labs, that takes work, learning how to engage with students and and your staff, learning how to engage with with other faculty members. People with a clinical practice certainly have many, many, many relationships with their patients and with their colleagues. This can be even more different. I don't want to say difficult, but it can be a different type of relationship um, because we do have such different expertise and because we're not just working on the same hallway. Right. You can't just walk down and say, hey, I had this idea. So it needs to be more prescriptive than it sometimes feels like it should be. Mm-hmm. Most interdisciplinary collaborations break down because they aren't formalized or because there isn't a sh- shared set of core values. And that's sort of something that I'd like to touch on today. A set of
1: core shared values. And I think this is going to be incredible. And I cannot wait to hear this because I'm I'm reflecting on interdisciplinary groups and experiences i've had over the years where as you kind of said it's really important to to define this accurately and fully because we can say well i've got this this you know interdisciplinary group and i do this all the time work with people from different fields or specialty areas or institutions or degree backgrounds and if it's i think the the distinction is a oh gosh, I don't know how to say this. And I don't know the the language, but I'm thinking of two, there are two ways of doing this. One is I, Kim Skrupsky, I'm writing a grant and I'm the PI and I need a fill in the blank. I need a Mm biostatistician. I need a basic scientist. I need a clinician. I need a research coordinator. I need these people. I can, and so I'm Mm going to like invite people. Hey, will you be in my grant? Will you be in my camp? I need your expertise. I need this skill set. and anyone you'll do. Because you're one of those things, versus the approach that I really cannot imagine. This is where you're going. Where it's a deliberate, thoughtful, strategic, inclusive process where I have a vision of this. I I'm curious what you think about this. Here's a gap in the literature. Can we? Can you help me think about this? Would this be something that would interest you? Now you are, you know, you're building team ammond. It's not. Right. It's not just I'm helping her and she's paying me. It's a transactional relationship. It's more Correct. transformational. So it's transformational.
0: Yeah, and I I think uh, much of my leadership journey has been rooted in the teachings of Greenleaf and servant leadership. Um, so how can I be of service unto you today? type of leadership. Um, And that becomes really important here. There are are parts of this that are selfish, right? That I am doing this because I wanna move my research question forward. But in this, you need to know and respect and honor that each member of your team has agency. Each member of your team is motivated differently. Each member of your team is getting something from you as much as you are getting from them. Mm-hmm. And in that way, it really needs to be much more of a partnership than, as you mentioned, sort of a prescriptive I'm writing this grant. I need a biostatistician or I'm right. This is much more an exchange of ideas and a, a, a partnership, not, not a um, zero sum game.
1: Yeah, exactly. Love it. So what, what are these, the, the you refer to this core uh, set of shared values?
0: Yeah. So uh, the first one is to know and respect what each member brings to the team. And this includes you. That last piece I think is often forgotten. Um As we've talked about a little bit, each one of these people is bringing something different and it's really important that they're all heard. Um, So before formalizing anything, you want to identify those unique skill sets and their worldviews, their perspectives. And it's also important that you continue to revisit this. You're gonna get to know each other better over time. People change over time, that's a good thing. And so this may need to change. One of the pieces that I find the most challenging with this, which I alluded to a little bit, is recognizing and then actually embodying what I bring to the team right? So they need a cancer cell biologist. Um, I often identify myself as a cancer ecologist, because I can sort of speak the lingo of ecology, as well as cell biology, and they need that to be successful. Um, And this is where a lot of imposter syndrome comes in, you know, I'm, I'm sitting with these great scientists, what am I doing here? Well, they need this perspective. Mm. Um, And they need it. And that is what maintains the integrity of this collaborative partnership. That's right. Um, And that's really important. Um, The last piece of this, of knowing and respecting what each member brings to the team, is understanding how they're motivated and how they like to receive feedback. Mm -hmm. Not everybody's going to be motivated by the same thing, right? One person may be motivated by finding the cure for cancer, and another person may be motivated by, I want to understand why the cell is doing the thing it's doing. Both have value. Both are really important. But unless you understand those differences... You can't honor the other people and help them understand that you value their input. And having a sense of value in any relationship is really important. They need to get something out of it as well as you. The the second sort of value is to create relationships and spaces of trust. These These types of relationships only work if there's candid and sometimes overly animated discussion. Um, so it's important to share ideas and data you should share early and often. What that means though, is that you can't have fear of scooping. Mm-hmm. You can't have fear that somebody in this group is going to take your idea and run with it and claim it for your own. Mm-hmm. But if you truly value the team and you have that level of trust, then you want their feedback. They're going to have insight that you don't. You want to be able to share these ideas with them. Yeah. And as far as scooping goes, um, something that we'll get to in a little bit is that these are the people who will be publishing with you. So you, if you value their input, that is an intellectual contribution.
1: Yes.
0: The second piece of this, and it's really important in sort of the idea of trust is that a collaboration where everybody disagrees with each other all the time, isn't going to move ideas forward in order to move forward. You need friction. Yeah. So If you all agree, then there's no reason to be doing this extra work of team science. And with this, it's really important to have individual scientific integrity and hold others to this level of scientific integrity so that we're all prepared to challenge and disagree with others. But in a spirit of mutual respect and with a level of professionalism. This is really just my next point um, that I set aside because it's so very, very important, which is to assume noble intent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so much of the time when we have our idea where I, I figured it out, I know the reason this is happening. And somebody comes in and says, no, that's wrong. Or I don't believe that we feel like it's an attack on us, but really in these type of collaborations, it's a cha- challenging of an idea. And so you need to be able to sort of trust but the people who are coming at you with those arrows are doing so with noble intent. I love This it. is separate from the idea of real actual bullying, um, which of course does need to be addressed. And right. um, you would need to reach out to somebody to sort of help with that. Um, but you 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 need to have that relationship of give and take.
1: I yeah, I love that. I was just, I was gonna say kind of the same thing, like amplify that. And it's not personally, I like the way you put that, you're challenging the idea. Or like I'm thinking of a, of a parent, the child, you're challenging or uh, confronting the behavior, not the person.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. But, but
1: to that for that to happen, as you're saying, and you're all this is all these are basic leadership principles, principles, you're creating a safe place where mm-hmm. the expectation is, all right, we need the naysayer. We need the, someone who's going to be the yabbit person. Yabbit, yabbit, yabbit. Mm-hmm. We Don't. There's no room for groupthink here. Let's poke some holes in this. All right, we've all agreed. Now, where could this go wrong? Where are we going right. to go cattywampus? So let's right. let's blow it up. Let's break this. If this is going to break, where's it going to break? But that all comes from a leader, as you're explaining, who creates a place where I'm not going to get eye rolls or I'm not going to have someone who's going to you know, be upset by this. This is part of this is what we do. Mm-hmm. You know, we 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 constructively criticize and we don't take it personally. We criticize the idea and the process and the science. And right. then we, we come to mutual understanding. I love it. Keep going.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So my fourth um, item here is to be patient. It should probably be items four, five, and six. <laughs> um, especially when working with this disparate dis- of disciplines, um, we're all learning a new language. Right. So, um, for example, the physicist that I work with, you know, he has 40 decades of physics experience. I don't have that. He has to have a great deal of patience with me explaining, you know, high school physics principles. again. Oh. <laughs> uh, you know, in and, and the same way, he'll sort of say something. I'm like, well, that doesn't happen in a. In a cell, how could you think that? Well, he hasn't had cell biology, and however long it's it's what I live and breathe. Um, and some a, a small anecdote that really explains how specific this can get and how important it is. Um, we we were all together um, at what we call a think tank meeting, so we were all sort of in one place thinking creatively, and we had a three hour conversation about the definition of the word diffusion. No. No. Diffusion for a programmer means something specific. Diffusion for a physicist means something specific. Diffusion in the human body. Diffusion across a cell membrane. Those all have different meanings. And so we were all talking past each other. And things, um, you know, th- thinking of the uh, always assume noble intent, people were sort of saying, well, that doesn't make any sense. That can't be possible. Well, they were talking about two completely different phenomena. Ah. So it took us a while to all come back together again and say, okay, this is first you have to identify what the problem is. And then you have to be patient enough to actually walk through and everybody needs that level of patience. Mm-hmm. Once we understood each other, we could really move forward. But it, we had to take a step back and say, what is our gap here? What is this challenge? It, is this yeah,
1: the basic communication. Let's make sure we all agree what this word means. Exactly. And, and and that, I mean, it's it, like mind numbing. And I'm like, really? Really? We got to do that? And then we'll go through the exercise. And I'll be like, oh, OK, Kim. Of right, yeah. course,
0: we just had six different
1: definitions of this. And I'm like, mm-hmm, OK. Yeah. We get on the same yeah. page.
0: And and that comes up more frequently, I think, than I at least expected. Um, And then the the last sort of uh, big value is to be humble and listen generously. Um, So part of this means to be present. I think this is much, much harder um, as we sort of entered into this world of video conferencing and Zoom. Um, But when you are working with any group, but specifically thinking about your team, don't simultaneously be checking email. Put away your phone. Be present. Be there. If you were going to give them an hour, give them the full hour. The second piece is that this type of science only works if you have an open mind. So listen with curiosity to learn, not just to think about how you're going to respond to what they're saying. Uh, We have to listen. That person, as we talked about before, that person sitting across must know something we don't notice something we haven't. It doesn't mean not to speak up. You have to. But to actually be open and still enough to receive that information is something that you have to be intentional about. And to sit and say, I don't know, can you teach me? And that's a really hard thing for us to kind of relearn.
1: Oh, so important and just so valuable that that's a, a lesson that is cross, has so many cross implications of listening to understand, not listening to respond, mm-hmm. and listening. For curiosity, not only what the person is saying, but what they are not saying. Right. And that's, right. that is intentional, you know, listening. I love, I've been doing a lot of coaching training and a, a coach named Ellen Moore. I don't know her personally, but is is given credit for saying, having this acronym WAIT. And I have it like on a sticky note in my monitor, WAIT, W-A-I-T. And it stands for, why am I talking? Mm. And so as a, as a coach and because I'm an extrovert and we think we talk to think, I constantly have to remind myself, you know, slow down, listen, you know, listen, 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 not as you say, to respond and to be able to show, well, look, watch, watch how smart I am, Mm -hmm. but really listen with, as uh, Sarah Andrews, the daughter said, listen with your face, mommy, I need you to listen (laughs) with your face, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) pay attention, love it.
0: Yeah. Um, so something that we haven't touched on, and I, it's really, really, really important with this, is how do we actually make it happen? Yeah. Right. So I mentioned we had all these different disciplines. OK, now we have these shared values, but we are across two continents. We are at five institutions. We're at various career stages. How do you actuate this? How do you form a team and remain a, a collaborative inter- interdisciplinary group? I think that there's value to sort of catching up with somebody every once in a while, looping them in. That's not the same thing. That's not what we're talking about here. So there's some practical um, tips that you can use to actually move things forward. Love it. The first one is to have a plan and to set a goal for the collaboration. So if you are the person bringing the people together, why did you bring them together? Um, If you are a member of that team that perhaps not the one who brought it together, why did you remain there? Be specific, write it down. Most interdisciplinary science falls apart because it's not formalized. The second thing is that FaceTime matters. You have to make it a priority and it has to be a priority for everybody in your group. This is another time where you need to make a plan, a simple agenda to get that ball rolling can be really critical. And sometimes that can be easy as, hey, Kim, can we revisit that idea you talked about that last time and then name what it is as a jumping off point, but you have to get it started. You you sort of have to prime the pump to get everybody going again. And whenever there's a lull, you should always be ready to share a paper or a piece of data. I keep a folder on my um, desktop now that we're in this world of Zoom that sort of has a backlog of things that I want the, this group of people to talk about, or I want their feedback on, or I want to know what they think. And so whenever we don't have something, I can always go there and say, hey, what do you think about this?
1: Oh, that's really, that's a really, um, fair, talk about a nice applied practical tip there. As a leader, and I imagine you're sending an agenda ahead of time and always having that kind of go to file folder where mm-hmm. the cool, interesting stuff that you can't get to right now or the file folder in the Outlook email inbox. This is where the cool stuff that to do later on. Yeah. As you know, let's talk. Let's just noodle this around. Let's just with yeah. this a bit. Yeah. Love yeah. it.
0: And so it it works for our team here to get that really critical face time. We have weekly standing Zoom meetings every Tuesday at nine. I'm always busy because I'm talking with this great group. Um, Outside of that time, we have really active email conversations. Um, And then once a year, we have an annual in-person meeting, sort of that think tank meeting where we all come together one institution and think hard um, about Whatever it is that that we're working on at the time.
1: Wow, and that that sounds like almost like a little mini conference where that's a dedicated that's on everybody's calendar and the. Expertise. Yeah. it's it's and a little season. it's a little
0: tiny conference but but yeah um and and typically everybody at least makes an effort to make it um our international members sometimes have a harder time we obviously haven't met this year um but it's really it, it to have that in person more informal time. I think is really important. Yeah. Um, The the other piece here is that the always be pending rule applies. So always be pending manuscripts, always be pending grants. Um, So you should always have something going. Um, And so we're always working on the next paper, whether that's driven by the team as a whole or whether it's an individual group. Um, So for example, one of our members, grad students is working on a project that we are all sort of pitching in on. Um, so that's our current pending manuscript and then always be working on the next grant proposal um, so that we can really formalize and codify these relationships um, then, down on paper.
1: And then it sounds like there, there's always also some a new goal. It's exactly not, it's always something to be excited about, keeps the momentum going. It starts percolating new. You cre- It sounds like you've created an expectation around constant movement, constant right. motion.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's related to the third point, which is productivity matters. Mm. Um, the, you know, this team that you're creating doesn't exist outside of your day job, but is part of your day job. Um, and good or bad, and, and I think it's good that type of productivity to have evidence of that is really important. Um, so, write a paper, submit a grant, plan a symposium. And with each one of those, you should define who is driving the, pro- the project and articulate what each, what each member is bringing to that authorship list. And this goes back to sort of some of what I was saying up top about um, fear of scooping, I think really holds people back from engaging this deeply with others. But it's not scooping if you're all on the paper. There's no reason to limit authorship here. Yeah. Um, and it there may be times... When not everybody wants to be on a manuscript, remember that they're going to be conflicting ideas here, and that's okay. Um, again, remembering, assuming noble intent, and the expectation that everybody will maintain their own scientific integrity. Right. Not everybody needs to be on every manuscript. Um, people's interests and intents will will ebb and flow over time, and right. that's okay. The other really great thing that we've done with, with our group, so manuscripts, we submitted grants. We also sit on each other's uh, thesis committees for our grad students. Um, so that, again, sort of co-mentoring really allows us to codify um, some of those relationships. Um,
1: and that sounds like obviously that is a built-in way to continue the the tradition of interdisciplinary science. So now you're exactly to the next exactly. generations of this is how this looks, this is how this works.
0: Right. And and how to practice it. And um, this isn't something I think we are often taught in graduate school or medical school mm-hmm. is, is how to do this. Um, the fourth piece is that not every relationship works and that you need to be generous with yourself and and have enough grace to know that that's true. You don't have what they need or they don't have what you need, and it's okay to say no. It's okay to leave a group. Um, Sometimes this can look like one member of your committed team asking to have their name removed. That's okay. Okay. Um, other times it will mean that after an initial meeting, you say, you know, this is, you do really interesting work, but it, it we, we don't have that synergy and that's okay. Um, you may have a positive point of intersection down the line. So don't burn bridges, but sort of know that, that it's okay if, that these relationships change. Yeah. Fit, fit.
1: Uh, there are different seasons of life and seasons. Of exactly. Career. So you're right. Maybe not now, but maybe later, but I think it's a critical because I was hoping at some point you're going to get to this is the idea that sometimes relationships come to a natural end and that can be a harmonious end or a, mm-hmm. is it disharmonious or unharmonious, <laughs> you know, discordant, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And where you're like, Oh, and that's where I think I'm imagining some people listening to this. That sounds like, well, Dr. Sarah Evan has kind of, has it all figured out, but I've been in situations where, there, have been, there has been some ugliness and there has been some scooping and there has maybe been an element of betrayal. So like, you know, the bad egg in the group who kind of, yeah. it. so I, I was wondering if you're going to address that in terms of not every relationship works. Yeah.
0: So, so um the easy, I'll start with the easy and go to the hard. Um, so, so the easy part is sometimes it doesn't work. That's okay. Move on. You'll see each other at conferences or you won't, You can, you know, when you see a paper that interests them, you can engage or you cannot, right? Those are fairly collegial. Um, There are times where you will have somebody that scoops you, right? So some of that is like any relationship. You start small and you build bigger. There is also, I I was scooped. I had a graduate level in graduate school. I had a big paper that was supposed to come out in nature and, and was scooped. And needless to say, I ended up publishing in PLOS One and it was OK. And it was largely, we think, because we shared this critical piece of data. And at that point, you have to make a decision of what type of a scientist do you want to be? And there are shades of gray in there. Um, And I think that there is value and integrity of being somebody who works with their close group of people and that's sort of it. And I think that there is um, integrity um, and another way of doing science that's very open, that's sort of saying, here's all my data for the world, take it, use it, cite me, don't cite me. I am closer to that second, Hmm. that second way than the first. Um, And I think that goes back to what your mission statement is. Hmm. And if your mission statement um, is uh, to find a cure for cancer, it doesn't matter who does it. Um, And and that can be really difficult. I mean, talk about a humbling experience. Um, But to protect yourself from that, you start small, right? So I don't meet somebody and spill every piece of data that I have available. Um, It's not that way. You you, you build a rapport. You build that relationship over time. You have to make an investment in them. They have to make an investment in you. And then over time, you have a level of trust that you can start to share strategic, um, more vulnerable pieces of data.
1: Yes. I, I love the idea of how you kind of lay this out, that you don't just kind of blah, splay yourself open. Someone who has wisdom and discernment will uh, seek the counsel of other wise people and say, I'm about to meet with Dr. Sarah And you know, can you clue me in on how she likes to get her information, how she likes to make decisions. I'm kind of going to have an ask here. Or I want to, how would you, what is the experience working with her? So you get, collect your data points from people. And then again, very strategically, thoughtfully back and forth. And, and that does not mean that that is a fail safe way of going. And it's going to all work out perfectly. I too got scooped. I shared this before in the podcast where I presented my, research at a, my national conference. And long story short, it was like I presented my research on like an N of, say, three or five.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And a very famous person in my field, within a year and a half, turned that N of five into the N of 50. And he published, because he had a big shop of people, mm-hmm. I was the shop of me, Kim Scrubs, you doing a postdoc, and he <laughs> turned it into the huge paper in our premier journal. I was like, Oh, but wait, I, I was the one and that's why he was talking to me at the conference yeah. and no fair, no fair, but eh, he did a better job of it because he had the tools and so it is what it well, is. And,
0: and the other part of that is the, I think the learning point of what type of scientist do you want to be? Do you want to be the scientist that says, hey, Kim, I want to do this I'm working on a, can we partner together? Um, can can we form this collaboration of trust and that's really going going back up to what we were talking about earlier is really establishing that relationship in that space of trust has to come first yes you have to show that you value ideas you have to show that you value their input and uh, enough that they're willing to share with you as well right this isn't just me downloading a bunch of data to these other other individuals right. it's a give and take Um, And there's an understanding of confidentiality there that they are not gonna say, hey, well, um, I'm gonna go talk to Joe over here and give them all your stuff. Well, that's not the relationship that we've established, but that does take time. That is a commitment. And and then lastly, um, how to find these collaborations. So where do I start? Okay, I wanna do interdisciplinary science. How do I do it? Um, How I find collaborations is by following the science. Um, so if you have a research problem and you don't know what the right question is to ask or you don't have the right tool or the right expertise, then go find somebody who does. Um, I think some research programs are incredibly successful and really beautiful work is done by saying, I have this tool or I am really focused on this one specific thing and I'm going to do everything radiating out from that. That's not the way I do science. I do science by saying that is my question. Who can help me answer it? And I think both have value. Um, but. In that second um, way of doing science, it it leads you to the person that can help you answer that question. I promise all scientists love to talk about what they do. um, And so go to them and say, hey, can you tell me about it? Here's what I was thinking. They're going to want to talk to you. They're going to want, they're going to be excited that somebody outside their field wants to talk to them at all. Go to meetings, go to talks, which are so much easier now with Zoom. Um, Go outside of your area of expertise. You'll bring something important to the table. Remember that that you are bringing something to this interdisciplinary science as well. You have to speak up. Don't hold back a question just because nobody is asking it. So that takes a little bit of bravery. Um, It gets easier with practice. It's actually one of my lab laws is to always ask questions if you don't understand. Um, People will clarify. People are more more patient and have greater grace than what I think we give them. Credit. Especially, you know,
1: based on what you said earlier, that when someone's talking and you may have this kind of question, but you're making assumptions that, well, maybe I'm the only one who doesn't know this. But then you say, but, you know, can I just pause for a moment? Can Would you please clarify what you just said about this? Because this word system or, you know, disintegration, whatever the word we said, makes, it means this to me. And then they go, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you asked me that. No. And then six of the people go, oh, I didn't think it meant that. I,
0: I thought we were talking about this completely different thing. It's so critically important. Right. It's so critically important. Last thoughts here. Yeah, please. Interdisciplinary science, it's challenging. It's incredibly rewarding. And to do it, it's really just three things. Be humble, be patient, and be intentional.
1: Humble patient intentional. Ooh, you definitely are living breathing proof of the servant leadership model. And I I cannot tell you how rich this is. I have every expectation that I'm going to get emails from people saying this episode has been phenomenal and they've listened to it more than two times because there's so much rich content here. I I can't thank you enough. I'm so excited by all this, Sarah. I kind of feel like I want to wrap things up, but if people don't want to hear me. <laughs> just replay, the listen to this again, folks. It wasn't this incredible. Dr. Sarah Ammond, I really want to uh, thank you so much. This has been terrific. Folks, I hope you join us next time and tell all your friends about the faculty factory. Sarah, any, any uh, goodbye? I'll let you kind of like take us
0: out. Yeah, just keep doing great science. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Thank
1: you, Sarah. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement